Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. So Jen and I have a bunch of allergies. Okay, we're, we're allergic to pretty much everything between the two of us, and so it's really annoying to do food. But one of the things that we do, because of, because of the fact that we have allergies, we have to shop at a bunch of different stores, and we always have to like, you know, what are the people that are in the store always looking at the back ingredients to see what's in it? And it's kind of annoying. But after studying this week, I didn't realize that this entire time that Jen and I have been shopping, we've been missing one key element to our shopping. When we look at the back of it, we have not been looking to see if the meat we are buying had been sacrificed to idols. Okay, so this is finally something that we're all, I know this is a burning question. All of you are like, man, can I buy the meat if it's been sacrificed to idols or not? We are going to actually answer that today so you guys, can, you guys can just have peace with your burgers and your steaks and know that you are, you are there, okay? So this is what the answer is. When we look at this text, this is the beginning of another subject that, that the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, is, is leaning into to answer questions that were presented to him while he's in Ephesus after he had already planted the church in Corinth. And so this is the beginning of the next section of questions. This is the, 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 the movement from from the divorce and remarriage. Fortunately, we're done talking about that. Praise God for that, right? And then we're moving, on to, we're moving on to this next section that really is chapter 8 through chapter 11 is kind of the continuation of the subject. So because of that, there are things that we're going to kind of highlight today that we'll talk a lot more in depth later on through the scripture because it kind of pulls it in again. But, but chapter 8 through 11 is the beginning of this kind of this long conversation of idolatry and what does it mean to have Christian freedom and how do we operate within side of community with our brothers and sisters that may struggle with that. And so that's where we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You are welcome to read with me. Let's, let's go ahead and dig into it. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of the food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all, whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled." Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have, uh, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother's and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I, be, lest I make my brothers stumble. So all of you that might be causing your brother stumble, enjoy veganness. No, that's not what he's going with, but he's making a point here. He's making a point in this, in this text that is, is really 
super prevalent to them in their day. It's not something that we deal with. Not many of you woke up today deciding which goat you're going to bring to the temple to sacrifice. That's not something that kind of goes through our head. But there are many truths in this scripture that apply to us today that are profound if we miss, I fear we miss so much of what God is trying to do with us. And so he, he begins this question. What was happening in their day is there were many, many temples. In fact, the temples were a lot of wedding ceremonies would happen. They had dining halls. And so if you're going to have a big get together, since the houses were really small, you'd go and eat in the dining hall of one of these temples. But a lot of these temples were worshiping gods. They were worshiping gods of, of, of um, fertility, gods of blessing, gods of, 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 of the sun, of rain. And they had all these different gods that they were worshiping. And what would happen is they'd bring an animal, a cow, a goat, a pigeon, whatever it was, and they would, they would bring it into the, into, the, into the temple and it would be offered. And a portion of that meat would be burnt up into an offering to the Lord. And then a, and then a portion of the meat would then be eaten by those that are celebrating the ceremony. And when you ate that meat, the assumption was that if it was a God of fertility, by eating this meat, I'm bringing a blessing of fertility upon me. And then what would happen is they would always have extra meat. And so instead of wasting it, they would take it out to the market and it would be sold. And so it was really hard in Corinth in that day because there are so many temples, so many gods. It was really hard to know. Like they didn't have the tags on it that said, you know, sacrifice to an, uh, to an idol. It was, it was most likely not in the organic section either, right? Like it was just, it was just there and happened. They didn't, there was no way to know. And so what was happening is there were two kind of schools of thought, two big prevalent issues that were happening, which is kind of the same thing that's been happening all through this book of Corinthians right? This, there's two people standing on two different spots where they're arguing about something. And so there's the side that's this incredibly legalistic side. The side is like, I will not eat of meat that was offered to idols and therefore no one else should. And they were doing it kind of set up as a, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then there were people that were saying, you know what? You can eat whatever you want. It's just meat. It doesn't really matter. And they're kind of using their freedom to go however they wanted about life. It, it, you think of it this way, kind of today, like we don't have this problem as a church where, where there's very legalistic Christians and, and super, super like freedom searching Christians. Right? That's not something we deal with, right? That's what's going on there is that there's this, this division, which is interesting. If you think about chapter one and chapter three spent so much time talking about division in the church, talking about how, how we are not to divide ourselves because Christ is not divided and therefore we should be one church. And so this is the, the argument and the battle that's happening. And so he says, now concerning this food offered, it's better to say meat. There's probably other food in place, but the big question was meat. Concerning this thing, concerning the food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now this is in quotations. That's not in quotations in the original Greek. The assumption is, and the belief is, and I think it's pretty right here, is that this is a quote from what was sent to him in letter. All of us possess knowledge, is, is what he's saying. So we all have this knowledge, and they're using this idea of, hey, these aren't real gods. There isn't a sun god. There's only one god. This is what you've taught us. And so they're, they're very right, but they're basing it off this, this position of knowledge. And if you remember all the way back through Corinthians, he's been talking about how knowledge of the world is foolishness to God. Knowledge of God is foolishness to the world. And so they're saying, we're smart. We, we are intelligent. We understand this. So it doesn't really matter. Why is this even an issue? It's what they don't know where they're sitting in the, in, on either side of the legalistic or the, or the liberal side. They're just saying like, we don't know. We just don't care. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. And he's saying, yeah, all of us possess knowledge. And then he goes on and says, but this knowledge, this knowledge that you possess, it puffs up. It blows you up into arrogance. It makes you larger than you actually are. See, knowledge in and of itself, intellect in and of itself is just pride and arrogance. Your knowledge that you have, you may be right. You may be 100% right, but you've missed something profound. And this is what's incredible about this. He starts this subject about food and then he stops talking about food. He says, now concerning the food, the offered idols, let's talk about knowledge and love. 
He goes into it and he says, look, you, 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 you don't realize, but love builds up. Your knowledge void of love is just arrogance. To have real knowledge is to have love. And he goes on to say, look, even if you know something, you don't know anything if there's no love present. He says to love God is to be known by God. That means that we love because he first loved. This is something that God is trying to instill in his people in Corinth. And I believe he's trying to preserve it and instill in us today. That we are not to allow our knowledge to puff up, but to always operate within love. In fact, the entire love section of chapter 13, as, as fun as it is to do at weddings, has nothing to do with marriage and everything to do with how we treat one another. So he's going to spend a ton of time talking about love. And so we'll dig into that a little bit further when we get to chapter 13 in like 12 years. The thought is this, this entire issue of eating food with idols or not would be almost null and void if those that had the knowledge, they had the understanding of what this really meant, were operating in love. We can take a, we can take a, just, you can literally check out for the rest of the day and just log, log that one away and just, just chew on that for the next week or two. If the knowledge that God has given you, if you just operated outside or inside of that knowledge with a full loving attitude, think about the difference that would happen in your homes, in your communities, in your workplaces. He's saying, without love, it's, it's pointless. It's just arrogance. It doesn't matter. And so before he even talks about food, he establishes the issue isn't just the food. The issue is your heart. The issue is that you think your knowledge puts you above someone else. And really your knowledge, it, you are right in your knowledge but it's not about being right. It's about building up in love. And then he goes on, therefore, so in light of that, because love's issue, we're going to assume you understand that, as to the eating of food offered to idols, better said meat there, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So again, he's quoting them. An idol has no real existence. So what they're saying is like, look, there is no sun God. This is fake. It doesn't really matter that we, we did this. There is no fertility God. There is only one God. They're, they're, they're literally quoting the Shema, the, the Jewish prayer. There's, our Lord of God is one. There's only one God, right? This is something that they're saying that they had learned from the apostle Paul when he was first there in his missionary journey. So they're, they're not real idols. And he's like, you're right. You're right. They are. They're, they're not real gods. It doesn't matter. They're not real gods, and there's only one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Well, hang on a second. He just said there was one God. And this is one of those words. The, the word for God is Elohim. It's the same word used here for one God and many gods. And this is the issue that they were having, is that many of the people in their day believed that these gods were real. And what he's saying here is he's establishing, look, they're not gods. They're not gods. There's only one God. You're right but there are many gods. And this is something that I, I would love to just talk about this today, but we got to wait until 10 until we get there. But basically what he's saying here is, is literally this. He's pointing out the fact that there are no neutral spiritual beings in this world. There is either God or Satan, good or evil. And so to partake in any other God, you are actually partaking in evil to give yourself into some form of evilness. And that's, that's what he's establishing. He fleshes that out in idolatry and a lot of what that means going forward in chapter 10. And we'll talk about that. But what I just want to kind of stick a pin and pause for a second. This issue is like many of us today. Don't struggle with the idea of temple worship, but you struggle with what you came out of. For many of you, you were born and raised in the church and you, you can't think of a day where you didn't know what it meant to follow the Lord. That is the exact testimony I pray for my kids. But many of you have experienced something different. You've experienced in a darkness. You've, 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 been, you've been a part of other religions. You've, you've been a part of other spiritual things. And what he's establishing here is, look, these spiritual things are not neutral. There is no neutral spiritual thing. 
You've partaken in evil, and then you, you became new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The old has passed away. The new is here. What happens is to many people today, just like in this day, they blend those things. This is where you get a Christian that's saved but still lives very new agey. Or this is where you get, you get a, a Christian that comes out of maybe something like Mormonism and they come in, they're super legalistic and they, super, they feel like they just keep having to work out that faith as opposed to recognizing that the faith is a gift. You start blending and this is what happens and this is where the lines become messy and this is the same thing for all of us. Is apart from Christ, we are partaking in evil. We are sons of wrath. We are children of the devil. As bad as that sounds, it's horrible. That's what we are apart from Christ. In Christ, this is why Christ is so big. He had to die. He had to come so that we could be free and set free and live in that. So Jesus is a very, very big deal. He goes on to make this point really clear here. But we have to understand that even though the idol worship that you were worshiping is what he's saying, it didn't mean anything. There really wasn't a God behind it. It was just your own thoughts. There's still the reality that evil is present and that you might be partaking in evil. Like I said, we'll talk a lot about that in chapter 10. He goes on and says, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, this is verse 6, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And that would have been no argument that made sense. Everyone's like, yep, that's great. And then he goes on and says, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. He uses the same word for Jesus that he does for God there. Oh, wait a second. Oh, hold on a second. He's, he literally, he's not just establishing, because to, to most people, they understood that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of God. He was going to be of, from God, but it was the, that he is actually God. Jesus says, I am God. You've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He establishes something here that is just so beautiful and so big and so wonderful, we can't miss it. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Meaning, it's not that, and this is the issue, is that all these little gods all these other gods were ways to God, was the theory. Were ways to, to creating some kind of eternal bliss or some kind of hope or joy. It's not that Jesus is just one more mountain that we climb to get to God. It's that Jesus is God. Yes, he is the exclusive way to God. That means that all other religions apart from Jesus Christ, what the Bible teaches is that they are not leading you to God. Jesus is the way, but the difference is it's not that he's the way to get to God. He is literally God. You are to God. It's God coming to us in Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful truth that I wish we had a ton more time to spend on. He is God. So he establishes, look, there is this truth. You guys are right. There is only one God. You're right. You're right. These other gods don't mean anything. Jesus and God are everything. And that's, he's literally, he's like, yep. He's he's rehashing what they already wrote to him and said, you're absolutely right. However, verse seven, not all possess this knowledge. Now, Now, the knowledge isn't understanding who Jesus Christ is, the, the knowledge is understanding that these other gods aren't real, that these other gods actually don't have the power of the sun or fertility or all these other things. That's the, the, the knowledge is saying, look, there are weaker brothers and sisters. There are people around you that don't understand that. They don't get that. They don't, they don't understand what it means to really have one other God. So when, when they partake in temple feasts, they just go back into the mind of what they did all those years over and over again. Yeah, we eat this and this is going to bring fertility. This is going to bring blessing on my crops. This is going to bring blessings to my family. This is all these things, what this means. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there are brothers and sisters who, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. Now, idolship, I, I have to say this, the Bible consistently denounces idolatry. In its broadest sense, it refers to giving ultimate allegiance to anyone or anything but God. Giving yourself to anything but God, which then takes your acts of worship, your worship, which isn't just singing, worship is a lifestyle, giving that worship to things. Many people idolize their children, their marriage, their jobs, their incomes, their houses, all kinds of things. We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about idolatry later on. 
That's not necessarily what we're digging in here. He's saying, look, there are brothers and sisters. There are people that were like you. They were pagans. They, they were following these gods. They were, they were worshiping in Aphrodite's temple, and they were, they were doing all of these things. But when you eat meat with them, they can't differentiate old self, new self. They are too weak. And so what ends up happening, and this is important, what ends up happening is then they are susceptible or likely to fall back into that sin. It's not about being offended. Hear me on this. This is very, very important. It's not that they'd be offended. He's not talking about offense here. He's talking about something that is amoral, eating meat. He's, made it, he's established, look, it's neither, you're neither better or worse if you don't eat it. It's not, a, it's not a sin to eat it. It's not a sin to not eat it. It's not, you're not more holy if you don't eat it. And you're not more holy if you do eat it. He's established. It's an amoral thing. It's not immoral. It's, it's something that there isn't necessarily any writing that says this is bad or, or good. He just says, however, on an amoral thing, on something that is so not defined in this way, you have to recognize that there are people that can't partake in that, even if you have the freedom to do so. Let me give an example of this. I, mean, I tried to think of examples that wouldn't be polarizing. There really are none, so I'm just going to polarize a few of you, okay? Um, I'm just going to lay out parenting, okay? So let's say you're standing somewhere and you were abused as a child growing up, okay? You, you've been abused over and over again, and then you see a parent spank their child later on. Now, I can see how that would trigger someone that had been abused their whole life. That's, that's justifiable. That makes complete sense. But it's not like because you see some other parent spank their child in a disciplined moment that that's also going to make you start abusing your children. That's an offense thing. That's not going to cause you to stumble back. Now take something else like alcohol. If you have been addicted to alcohol in your life, you struggle with alcohol in your life, that's a different story. You, me saying, oh, come on over and have a beer with me, that's bringing a brother into an area which, which they can stumble. Not be offended, but where they could fall back into the old self patterns. That's what he's talking about when he says stumbling block. It's not just, oh, I'm offended because I've established this spot of holiness and legalism that I won't take in part in it, and therefore you can't take part in it because it offends me. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is giving yourself to something that will cause a brother or sister to fall back into sin. Does that make sense? Not if, if that makes sense. Okay, I can't see anyways. It's okay. So he's saying, look, food's good. doesn't matter. We're not worse if we don't eat it. We're not better if we do. But take care that this, right, this is verse 9. This is such a big statement. This is kind of the statement that literally will carry us through all of chapter 11. So you can just circle verse 9 if you want to. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So he establishes it. He just makes it great. This is a right. It's a freedom. It's not wrong to eat meat. It's not wrong to discipline your child. It's not wrong to drink alcohol. It's not wrong to celebrate Christmas, right? These are all these things that we start drawing these lines. Whoa, everyone's like, whoa, Brent, sorry. I'm not trying to make anyone mad here. It's not wrong. It's just who you do it with and, 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 and what it could do to your brother who's weaker, your sister who's weaker. This is what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, this is, this is we need to be more careful than ever. He says, for if anyone sees you who has knowledge, eat, who have knowledge. So he's saying, look, if you, you as a stronger Christian, they look and say, wow, look at the way you're living your life. Well, if he can do it, I must be able to do it too. I also want to pause for a moment. This isn't right for a weaker, I'm going to quotation that, Christian to just stay weaker. Let me just say this. Some Christians, you need to stop drinking milk and eat, eat some meat. Right? The scriptures are very clear. Like We should be sanctified and growing. There should be a progression that happens in your faith as God continues to sanctify you because he promises to complete the work that he began in you. If he doesn't complete it, then he's a liar and God has never lied. And so there should be a progression in our life. There should be. That doesn't mean that like, oh man, I struggled with this 10 years ago. Maybe I'll just do it today. No, it might not be a good idea to do it at all. And what he's saying is, you're right, Christians, your, your brothers, sisters, your freedoms, enjoy them. 
But be, take care. Be very watchful. Be very cautious. Be very aware of your brothers and sisters around you because it might cause them to stumble. And stumbling, he says, he goes on, he says, look, stumbling is not only that you, it's not only bad, but you, it's, it's the, literally you're taking the person that Christ died for, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You also sin against Christ. Hear that. Hear that right now. I want you to hear that. Some of you right now, you are taking full advantage of the freedoms you have in Christ. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're completely unaware of the effects it has on your brothers and sisters. And he's saying that is sinning against Christ. So this means a few things. One is that those of us that struggle with things, Again, many of you probably don't struggle with meat idol worship, right? I get that. But those of us that have those struggles, those things that, man, I have a propensity to fall back into this. Man, if I watch these kind of movies, it might slip me back into something. If I listen to this kind of language, it might bring me back into those things. If I, if I give myself to this substance, it might take me off in a different way. Those of you that have struggles, that means you have to be open about it. That means you have to be close enough in proximity to people like where we smell each other and we, we start, to, you know, when like someone smacks their gum and they annoy you, you need to be close enough in community that you get annoyed by people so that you can share those things. Like, hey, just so you know, I don't want to go watch the movie because if I did, it might cause me to stumble and I've been, man, I've been trying so hard to be pure. Awesome, brother, let's not watch that movie. I don't need to watch it anyways. It means that you can, you need to be willing to be open. Like, hey, I, I really struggle. I really struggle with the desire to move into alcohol and to do those things. So, so I know like you can drink and that's fine and you have no problem with that, but, but would you be willing to not do that around me? That means you have to be willing to say those kind of things. And then the freer Christian, the, the stronger Christian needs to go, you know what? I'll be a vegan if I need to be to keep you from stumbling. That's what the apostle Paul says here at the end. He says, I won't eat meat at all if that's the case. It's not a fear-mongering thing. It's not like, oh, I might offend someone. It's that we are operating close enough to each other that we recognize that, that a weaker brother or sister needs our support. And the best way we can support them is not by taking ex free expression of our freedoms and say, you know what? It's totally fine. Man, I, I see in my own life and many people's lives this, this tendency to take things and we just say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. God will forgive me. And you operate in a way that is just so detrimental that it could cause people to stumble. If you've ever spent any time in, apart from the Lord in your life, if you ever spent any time, if you weren't growing up with the Lord, you've walked into those spaces. You've walked into those spaces, those moments, that place. You've interacted with someone where it just felt off, right? It's just like, whoa, this just like feels dark. And I feel like, I feel weird. For me, some of the places that I, I experienced and did apart from Christ in my life, when I go back to them, I just don't feel right there. I feel like I'm just, I don't belong there, and I, which is good because I'm a new creation in Christ. But if you're not strong in your faith, you might fall back into old patterns. You might seek out that old self in certain ways. You might turn to that flesh and grab from things that you weren't intended to grab from. One scholar says it this way. He says, nothing in the context of this justifies an association of weaker brothers with those who are merely offended by a particular practice. Even less justified is the application of these principles to the professional weaker brother, the Christian legalist eager to forbid morally neutral activities, even though he or she would never personally indulge in those activities. Rather, the weaker brother or sister is the Christian who is likely to imitate a stronger believer in some morally neutral practice, but feel guilty about doing so, or worse still, be led into that which is inherently sinful or destructive. We have to be aware of people around us, which also means people in here, even if you don't have a struggle, you need to be really close to other people, awkwardly close, in each other's face, smelling the stink on their breath. Like, I mean, as, as, as awkward as it can be, you need to be bumping into each other in a way so that when you operate, it's not a problem. 
And Christians, if you've been, brothers and sisters, if you've been freed from something that you have no problem and has no control of your life, but you have any awareness that your brother or sister has that, you should with joy run from it because you have no desire to cause your brother to stumble. I mean, joyfully accept it. You should be like excited to abstain because you don't want your right to cause someone else to, to stumble. Romans uh, 14, 20 through 21 says it this way. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. He's, he's having this long conversation similar to what we're doing here. He says, everything indeed is clean. Look, food is clean, it's fine. But it is wrong for anyone. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You hear that? It's not, it's not, he's not saying it's okay. It's, 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 it's something we can look past. He's saying it's absolutely wrong. So when the Bible says it's wrong, guys, it means it's wrong. It says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that could cause your brother to stumble. Look, we see the Apostle Paul telling Timothy that it, to take a little bit of wine. So he's not ab- abolishing all of alcohol, but we have to be really, really careful. You have to be really careful about who and what you do. And this isn't so you can be like on eggshells the whole time. The, the, the goal isn't to be on eggshells. The goal is to love your brother and sister. The goal is to, to, to bring people up in faith and to share God's goodness. I think in this, the, the really, the question we shouldn't be asking is how far can I go? but really what are my motives in the first place? It's not how far can I go before it's going to be a problem or how far can I go before someone else stumbles. It's like, what's my motivation for doing this in the first place? Why am I even doing this? There are two dangers that remain ever present. A separatism that prevents Christians from being salt and earth. We can't separate ourselves from this world. It'd be ludicrous for us to leave this world. In fact, the kingdom of God is being ushered in. We are to operate and to live and to work and to breathe like a child of God in a kingdom of God that is being ushered in and will be completed when Jesus comes again. So we can't separate ourselves. We're called to be salt and light to this world. But the other issue, another present, is a syncretism or a mixture of religion that adopts pagan practices, practices with damaging consequences. It's where we, where we meld all of our liberal freedoms that we want to have, any kind of freedom we have, and, and we just kind of add it and say, well, God will forgive, it doesn't matter. And we just kind of make some version of Christianity that just isn't present in the scriptures. Both are issues. One scholar says it this way. He says, clearly immoral behavior is tolerated on the one hand, and clearly amoral behavior is being prohibited on the other. That's what's happening here. Immoral behavior is being tolerated, and amoral behavior is becoming prohibited on the other. We need to educate people and to provide models of responsible choice on a case-by-case basis. Our teaching and our example should be grounded in the Christian ethic of love and should put others' well-being before our own, yet without allowing good to be called evil. This is a fine line to walk. and We're going to walk through it a bunch as the weeks come on. This is a really fine line. And and so I want to just leave with a, a few things. First off, if you're here today and you know you have some kind of struggle, you're like, man, every time I go to this setting, every time I spend time with these individuals, I find myself relapsing or falling back into the same old patterns. If that's true, I would encourage you. Talk to community, safe community. Come to the elders. Let us, let us pray with you. Let us walk with you. Let us connect you with people that can actually help you see freedom that Christ created you for. Our true freedom, not a freedom that you can just run from those things, a freedom that you can run with Christ. Let that, let that be something that happens. If you're here today and you are... Um, enjoying all sorts of liberties, and you've had people around you in a, maybe not, because it's, it's never fun to be the person like, hey, I, I kind of I struggle when you talk like that, because it makes me want to start talking like that, and I can't, I can't do that. I kind of struggle. Again, I, I understand you're free, and you're forgiven. That's great. If you, it, it's hard to have that conversation, but if you've had people around you that have said, hey, I don't know if you should drink that much, or hey, have you ever considered doing this? That might be them trying to warn you that you're living in a way that is causing others to stumble. So follow up with conversations. Don't be afraid to have those with each other. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I have become so legalistic 
in my beliefs. I become so legalistic that anytime anyone sins, I just see it as, as a grounds for me to just pummel them with truth. You, you've missed it altogether. You've missed it altogether because that's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying the exact opposite, actually. It's saying to love and to, to share truth and to walk with people. Don't, don't just go through the motions there. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship. And I, I want to caution you. I say worship. Worship isn't just singing. We've kind of dumbed it down as a church, unfortunately, to just singing. The first time the word worship is used in scripture is Abraham saying, I'm going to go worship with my son Isaac. What's he going to do with Isaac? He's going to sacrifice him. Right? So this is, worship is meant to be a sacrifice. It's meant to be all of who we are. When you idolize something, you give of yourself to that thing and you worship it with your time, with your money, with your words, with your body, with your actions. Everything is to be, in fact, Romans 12 says we are to be a living sacrifice for God. That means that we're not going to be burned up at the altar, but we're going to literally breathe every single day and every single thing we do is to sacrifice to God to bring him worship because he's worthy of that worship. And so I would encourage you, if you're here today and you're like, man, I... I I just, need to, I just need to remind myself of the freedom that God has given me. Like when I hear about those stumbling blocks, there were things, there were those meat sacrificed to idol things in my life where I was so imprisoned by them, but he has freed me from them. And now even seeing them, I have a, I have a disdain for them. I have no desire to go to them. I have no, nothing there. Then I want you to just stand up and worship God for freeing you from that. If you're here today and you're like, man, there's still so many things I keep falling myself into, then I want you to run, fall before God and worship him because he is your savior. He is your forgiver. He is your redeemer. And the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you if you are a child of God. So you have enough power to overcome anything that you're battling. And if you're here and you've, you've run the line of legalism and you're just like, man, you feel like whatever you say you should do or whatever things you can't do, you've used it as a punching bag for other people where you've, you've thought worse of them or you've held them in lower regard, man, it's time to repent. Repent, turn from that. Confess the Lord like, God, I, forgive me for, for condemning when I'm never commanded to condemn. You are the condemner. But whatever you do, just promise me you won't do this. Don't fake worship God. Like, let yourself really worship him. And if you can't, if you're in a moment like, man, I just can't. I don't even know how to worship him right now. I'm just too broken to worship him. Then just, just let yourself weep before the Lord. Let yourself just listen to him. Let him speak to you. And if you're in a spot where, man, like you, you, you believe you can't worship him because of the sins you've made, man, you couldn't have gotten the gospel any more wrong. His going to the cross took care of every single sin you have done and will do when you're surrendered to Jesus Christ. So you can stand freed from the guilt and the shame that comes from their sinful choices, even amidst the middle of consequences because of those sinful actions. But would you, would you worship our God because he's the only one worthy of worship? He's the only one worth idolizing. He's the only one worthy of, of living our lives for and breathing for. And for those of you that are here today, if you have found yourself in a spot where you're causing other people to stumble, I would encourage you to, to seek repentance. Ask for forgiveness from them. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I led you into this. I'm sorry I took you down this road. Please forgive me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that I can um, stand here today because I've been made whole by him, not by anything I did. God, for the, for the people in the room that have just been just struggling with, with legalism or freedom, or maybe they've just been using your scripture as a license to do whatever they want, God, I pray that you would just balance this out, not swing the pendulum so wide. Let us come centered on you, which is in truth and love focused on, on living our lives in a way that we don't want to see any of our brothers stumble. Instead, would we be a people that are so adamant about who you are that all we see around us is people being built up in love? And Father, for, for the individuals that are here that are just, they're just wrestling. They're just wrestling. I don't, know, I don't know what it may be. I just pray, God, I pray that you would show them that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. And I pray that they would fixate themselves, fixate their minds and their hearts on whatever's true and worthy and pure and right. 
and they would never give themselves to anything else. And God, we pray for those that have been freed in this room from pagan religions. God, we pray that they would never, ever fall back into those old patterns, that they would not create some kind of merged Christianity with that belief and you, but you would be all that stands pure in their hearts. And God, I pray for a closeness in our community. I pray for a closeness where people can be rubbed wrong and offended, but, but continue to push to each other in unity, a place where people can see themselves being built up and challenged and encouraged and admonished in a way that brings you and you alone glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, I truly pray that it is the joy of our life to do the will of yours. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we have a couple things you guys can be seated real quick. I'm excited. A couple cool things. Um, we have, over the last, I guess, couple months, we realized that the kids' ministry job was a full-time position, and Lindsay, who has been absolutely killing it in the job, said, I cannot do, she, seriously, it's amazing. She said, I can't do this full-time for my family. It doesn't make sense. And so she asked if she could go back in some hours and we could hire an assistant to her. Well, after a bunch of time of prayer, I'm excited to introduce to you guys the new kids' ministry assistant. Shelby, would you come up here? Yep, Lindsay, yep. <clears throat> And then elders, any of the elders are in here? Yeah, come on up here too. So this is Shelby and her husband, Casey, and they're here to stay. Just kidding, sorry. And this is, <laughs> and this is Lindsay, and there's Colby, one of the elders. We're going to pray her into position, so we just encourage you guys to join us. You can just sit. You can reach out your hand if you feel comfortable doing that. You don't have to, but... Father, thank you for Lindsay and her family's sacrifice over the last couple years into this ministry. And thank you that you have brought about the transition that we are going through now. And we've just poured so much time into it. We know that this is the path that you are taking us. So we ask for your wisdom and for your blessing. Father, we pray for protection in times of transition like none other are times where we can just see the enemy attack. And so we pray for protection on all levels, um, relational, spiritual, mental, physical. We pray that the, the body that is this church can come around Shelby and her husband, and that we are here to support them and uh, just be a part of the ministry that they are moving into. I pray for grace from parents who will be accepting them now into their lives, if only for a few hours on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. and uh, that they would be there to, uh, again, support them and be graceful. Father, thank you for your church. I'm, I'm just always astounded at the body that you have built. We pray always for your wisdom and for your direction. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.